are listening to Loud on the Set with Kyle and James. A level-headed movie critic meets a loud-mouthed movie cynic. And action! All right, welcome back to the show. My name is Kyle. This is James. And today, James, what are we doing? The Kyle Cut! What? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? The Kyle Cut. A long time ago, in a brainstorming session, I came up with the idea of the Kyle Cut. Mm. And what that means is, what would you have done differently? Ah. Or how would you have done this? How would you have handled that? And the great thing about the Kyle Cut is, it's not limited to just what change would you make in the telling of a story through a movie, but maybe what actors you may have switched out, right. what line you may have not gone with. Uh-huh. Essentially, what would you do? What would you have done? That's what the Kyle Cut is all about. If you were in charge, if you had the wheel, what direction would you steer it? Excellent. And plus, Kyle is a well-respected, well-versed movie critic, <laughs> and he's he's a fan of the arts and all that stuff. So this is a chance for Kyle to spread his... <laughs> my art wings <laughs> his art wings he doesn't have to just worry about me cursing out everything left and right. <laughs> Kyle it's time for the Kyle cut alright well I uh, I chose some films that I like oh. overall Excellent. so these are mostly films we get kind of today with the Kyle cut um, <laughs> we can do some more of these kind of today <laughs> we're talking about the flawed gems so either these films were fantastic and maybe marred by a flaw or maybe one flaw about them made them completely unwatchable or something about them really dragged them down. So I have a couple highlights of those types of things and um, some of my favorite movies even. You know, there are small lines and things about them. Mm -hmm. There have been some minute changes, for instance, over time to one of my all-time favorite films, Blade Runner. And, uh, and some of the lines have been changed. Some of the wording has been changed a little bit. Um, and it really changes, you know, part of those aspects of those films. And now I've seen them so many times, I don't even know which ones I like anymore. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to do more research. But today we're talking about these flawed gems or these, uh, these gems that have been broken. So I'm going to start out with one of my all-time favorite films, Breakfast at Tiffany's. James, have you seen this film? What do you think? I'm going to say no. You're correct. So this is an Audrey Hepburn classic. Um, it's at its root, it's a love story, um, and it's a kind of comedic. Uh, well, it is a comedy. Um, but one thing about this film uh, really brings it down, and we're starting off easy because pretty much the entire world agrees with me on this, and that is mickey rooney's character in the film so james if you haven't seen this uh miss go lightly uh audrey's hepburn's character has a landlord of her building who is of japanese descent i know what you're gonna say yes oh my goodness this character was portrayed by of course mickey rooney in one of the most racist fucking depictions Mm -hmm. of an asian i've ever seen in my life i have seen snippets it's the worst thing. It's it almost makes it unwatchable. And I wish they would. <laughs> I wish that there was a way they could cut the movie that his entire character was out of it. Because of course, at this point in time, it it, it wasn't like this was a terrible thing to do. 
Um, obviously, we view it very differently mm-hmm. in our generation in this time, but they didn't think at the time, or maybe they did and they didn't care. I don't know. I won't editorialize for them, but they made this decision to cast Mickey Rooney in what was an incredibly racist depiction of this Japanese man, um, which they were trying to evoke comedy through. So, Breakfast at Tiffany's, a very enjoyable, very fun film, gets very marred by this uh, this character in this one the, film. The, One choice in it brings it all down. The Kyle Cut would snip that character right out of it. I would snip it right all out. All right, next on the Kyle Cut. <laughs> so I guess with that film, I'm trying to express that um, we don't want any uh, cheap comedy in the form of racist overtones <laughs> in our films. Yeah. We don't want that. Don't want it. Moving on. We'll talk about something else here. Um, the Dark Knight Rises. I think Ooh. overall that this trilogy... Um, is good. I think that it's maybe great. I think that the second film is incredible. I think that there's phenomenal parts about it. I think that there are plot holes, and I think that Christopher Nolan falls into those creating a huge budget action spectacle, and I think that's understandable when they have to edit all this stuff together. I understand that. Um, Something I don't understand from The Dark Knight Rises is how they could go through this epic trilogy create a rather long film with The Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. and then choose to have characters exit the trilogy in the manner in which they do. For instance, I will address Bane, as I know you've seen this film. Yes. How does Bane's character leave the Dark Knight trilogy? Do you remember? He gets blown up by... Well, blown up. He, he gets... Yeah. She gets blown Something. away by fucking Catwoman. Yeah. She in in the blink of an eye. She, she explodes Goodbye. through this wall and just like shoots whatever the bat cannon things are at him, and he just explodes, flies against the wall, falls down. He's dead. End the story. He's out. That's it. In the blink of an eye, so abrupt, <laughs> so unceremonious. Over another mm-hmm. character that we were brought to, um, the redemption of the character Matthew Modine plays in the film. I don't remember his name. He's one of the police officers. He's like the disgraced police officer that's hiding, doesn't want to do anything. Yes, and then yes, finally yes. he puts on his coat and his his dress blues and runs out in the street with the other cops and everything. And does he get gunned down in the street? He absolutely does. <laughs> do we see it happen? No. What do we get? We get one, maybe two-second panning shot of his dead body on the ground laying there that's right. to tell us afterwards that he was one of the fallen comrades in the film. So good analysis. I like the Kyle cut. This happens uh, all the time with this type of you know spectacle. When you get to the end, everything gets rushed. You have too much to do in too little like, time. Oh fuck! What do we have to do? What, what, and they're what? like, "Well, we have to show the 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 bat wing fly off into the sunset. We don't <laughs> want to focus any time on the characters for a moment. So all that gets left behind." <laughs> and I understand that maybe Matthew Modine's character wasn't that important, but Bane. The main villain of the film, who he was just... It would have been better to end the film with Batman killing him, ripping his mask portion off. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. Starts tearing his mask off and Bane is slowly dying. What what a character exit that would have been to have him slowly kill him and watch him die there with him. But instead he just catches a smoldering fireball to the chest. <laughs> and goodbye. And yeah. he's out. Yep. That's it. Falls down, hits the floor. You see him for about probably a millisecond after that. And you never see him again. That's the end of it. <laughs> So we're talking about the care uh, of these characters that we've come to know this far. Maybe we love them or hate them. They deserve a good exit 
from the film. And uh, The Dark Knight Rises highlights how not to handle that wow. in a lot of respects. All right. Moving on. What's next? Oh, boy. As if we won't catch any flack about re-talking about this again, I want to address Star Wars, all of them at this point, <laughs> um, at to where we are, and the fourth Indiana Jones movie, which doesn't exist, but unfortunately does exist. And this is to highlight when and where to use computer graphics. Now, George Lucas has said many times that with the original trilogy, the world fell in love with a movie that he put out that was unfinished. He mm. wanted all the things in it that he added later, which I don't care. That's fine. That's wonderful. But if you've ever watched the original trilogy with post these edits, so now they're in the film, mm -hmm. you understand how egregious this is because yes. of how stupid it looks. Mm -hmm. It in no way matches the palette that they're using, the background, the film grain, if he's really dedicated to making the vision like he says he is of the movie he always wanted to make that people fell in love with, then they would fix this part of it. Render Jabba to look like his fucking surroundings. Right. How about that? Why doesn't right? he why does he look like so much ass, you know? <laughs> it's terrible. And then I don't even want to get started really on the Indiana Jones 4 movie, but every point in that film where they use CG is horrible. It's egregious. It's just just having large creatures walk in the foreground for, mm -hmm. just to sell more toys. Yep, and uh, the characters swinging through the woods with monkeys, and they wanted all these action pieces in, but if you look back at what made the original Indiana Jones trilogy so memorable was that they went out and like rented these World War II tanks and were driving them through the desert, mm -hmm. and you could see these actors moving on them. You see Indiana Jones hanging under this car climbing on his whip trying to like get underneath it and climb on mm -hmm. that's amazing and you see this also with the entirety of the bond franchise with the exception of one film uh and that is die another day if you've ever watched that egregious cg as well oh. um but cg can be such an important part of a movie and can bring you an aspect that maybe you were never able to put on film before um like we're seeing with some of the marvel movies now they're using it and even in these overblown spectacles, but in a more nuanced way that makes them feel more realistic. Even the film we just reviewed recently, uh, Ex Machina, what do we see that's computer generated in that? Basically, uh, just Ava's uh, hardware yep. at points. And but that's, it's, it's seamless. That's yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And it's subtle and mm -hmm. it's seamless. And of course, they have better technology now and everything to do that. But a little bit goes a very long way. For for more information about the overuse of CG, uh, refer to episode <laughs> one of Loud on the Set, where Kyle, oh that. yeah, where Kyle had his miniature rant about this is a tool and you have to use it, <laughs> otherwise you get things that look like little minnows, right? Oh, I love <laughs> that minnows, joke. Anyway, yeah. yep, it's true. Okay. It's a tool. Use it as a tool. Don't use it as a fucking crutch. Speaking right? of tools. The editor <laughs> is one of the most important people in your filmmaking team. And this can become a problem when things don't get communicated well. And now I'm referencing another Bond film I'm moving into because I do love James Bond. You I do. love these films. I love when the stuntmen are there flipping and doing things for real. It looks awesome. Um, if you've seen the film Quantum of Solace, it's the second film with Daniel Craig, the continuation of Casino Royale. And it's an example of how to make your audience, uh, how do I say, exorcist vomit into the row <laughs> in front of them with the frantic 
paced editing. You're seeing this in a lot of what they want to make as intense action films now. And I'm remembering a film right off the top of my head that's not in my notes, Battle L.A. Did you ever see this? No. It came out when I was in college, so many years ago. Um, and another example of when, the, when you're using the shaky camera, when you're using edits that are like less than half of a second, a quarter of a second, and you're snapping around all over the place, people's brains can't process that information you can't tell what's going on. And when I pause these frames in Quantum of Solace, <laughs> they look really well exposed. They look really awesome, but you can't see them while it's moving around. The pacing of the editing is so insanely fast <laughs> that you'll never understand what's going on. Well, Kyle, the, my textbook example of that yes. is Batman Begins. Uh, the, every fight sequence in Batman Begins, speaking of Nolan uh -huh. and whatnot, I I can't tell who's fighting, who's winning, who just got hit, and what the outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. It's like I'll just, I'll just wait to see who emerges from the dust. Right? Like, yeah, terrible. It's almost like Transformers esque too. Yeah, exactly with Transformers. With Michael Bay, like giant robots hitting each other. Like, well, who the hell is on screen? I have no <laughs> idea. A house is on screen right now. That's all I know. I have no idea. Um, frantic editing. Uh, mm -hmm. Pay your editors well. If you want something paced well, then you have to make sure it's understandable. A great example of that is the new Mad Max movie that came out, Fury mm. Road. Um, using your edits and where things are positioned on the screen when you switch to the next scene to lead people's eyes through your quick edits so that they're already looking at the right place on the screen they need to be looking at. That's how you should be doing it. And that's why George Miller is amazing and is nominated for a ton of Academy Awards. Excellent. Um, but moving on. Moving on. Oh, boy. Um, this one is, I'm very conflicted about, The Godfather Part 3. Um, I think that Godfather Part 1 and 2 are masterpieces of filmmaking. Frankly, at this point, I am disgusted and can't really watch mob films anymore. You said that before. I've been, uh, I've been kind of, I'm over it at this point. For the glorification um, of the lifestyle. Right. And, and even if not, even if the message is that it's awful, it's still out there and I don't need to be seeing it all the time in this dramatization, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I love these movies. I love the characters that are in them. I love the actors and how they're portraying the characters. The first Godfather film is an example of micro-acting on the best level from Al Pacino. Um, just watch his face twitch and move around. It's crazy. But Godfather Part Three suffers a very uh, distinct problem in that it is not a standalone story. If you watch that film out of context, for instance, I went back and watched it after I learned how much people hated Sofia Coppola in the film. And frankly, I didn't think she was too terrible. I think that she's miscast for the role that they tried to provide her, but I don't think that she's doing a bad job. I think that they should have taken her as a character and reformatted who they wanted to portray on the screen, but I don't think she did a terrible job. But what they did do a terrible job of was creating a standalone story. If you watch Godfather Part Two out of context and you've never seen the first one, you get an amazing standalone story that covers a two full generations of mm -hmm. time with amazing intercuts between them. The narrative is complicated and you can understand all of it. You can't understand a damn thing going on in Godfather Part 3 if you don't have experience with the rest of the films. And that is a true problem. Kyle is worked up. Can I tell you something about yes, the Godfather 3? you can. I have a friend. <clears throat> He's a listener. Hey, okay. Dan, how you doing? <laughs> uh, Dan has been on Listener Mail. Oh, yes. Uh, 
Or will be. Who knows? I, <laughs> I, due to Dan's advice, or thanks to Dan's advice, he told me, never watch Godfather 3. And so I haven't. How do you like that? Because I watched Godfather 1 and 2 relatively recently in my life. And he said, do not watch the third one. Don't taint the experience. <laughs> I said, okay. And so thanks, Dan. <laughs> well, it's a tragedy because it's a really interesting part of um, Michael Corleone's character development. Hmm. And it, it really caps off what they were trying to do with his story arc. And it's really important for like the whole saga of the thing. So I don't know. Uh, I might contradict <laughs> him and say, go watch it anyway. But just know this going in. Um, that, and that's not how a good story should be told. Okay. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, another film I really liked that came out recently. Spoiler alert, Tom Cruise was in it, so I was probably bound to like it anyway. Yep. But it ended up being really good. Um, I think I mentioned this before, Edge of Tomorrow. Mm. Nobody would go with me to go see it, so I had to go see it by myself. But the reason nobody would go with me is because it was horribly misadvertised. It had an advertising campaign that made it look like a mindless shoot 'em up cyborg smashy mech suit garbage thing, <laughs> and I totally understood that. But I wanted to go see it anyway because Tom Cruise was in it, so I was going. <laughs> oh so nobody God. would go with me because it was misadvertised. And when I came out of it, I realized how misadvertised it was, and I was so sad for the people involved in the film because mm. Emily Blunt turns in an amazing performance. Tom Cruise turns in a fantastic performance, and it's away from all the action. There are action sequences, sure. They didn't just fabricate it for the advertising campaign, but it's about way more than that. It's very interesting. It's a really interesting science fiction idea. Um, but the misadvertised aspect of the movie, to the point where now this movie's being sold pretty much under its subtitle, yeah. which was Live, Die, Repeat. Mm -hmm. And now that's the main title of the film. How confused are you at that point? <laughs> you don't even know what the title of your movie is. Anyway. Interesting. You know, the, the, the misadvertisement, <laughs> uh, to break into a quick bit of movie news, I've heard that a new movie com coming out called The Witch yes. is currently suffering from the same exact thing. Absolutely. Being misadvertised as a screaming horror flick, uh -huh. right, of... of um, of like classic teeny bopper like cranked out once a month right. bullshit horror movie when something that it's... would generally scare you and startle you in the theater yeah. but instead it's apparently a psychological historical uh yeah so a horror quote the misadvertisement continues Come yes on. it does moving um, on just a couple more um yeah. i'm gonna save my favorite uh horrible one for last um so i want to talk about <laughs> excuse me <laughs> I'm going to save my horrible uh, one for last because it just irks me so. So I'm going to move on to um, Prometheus. If anybody saw this, it was supposed to be the prequel to the Alien saga, mm -hmm. basically. And um, I love Ridley Scott. I think he's a great director. Um, what a waste of a movie. This is, a, <laughs> this is a, an example of, with the scope of the story and... What even just if you look at the first Alien or maybe the first two, which are the only ones that I really like, um, mm -hmm. there's so much interesting background that they could have gone into. And it's like they set up Prometheus as an advertisement to other movie companies to say, hey, here's what we can do. Give us a whole bunch of money so we can actually make the thing that we want to. It's like a pre-advertisement for movie companies so they can wow. pitch more money to Ridley Scott. 
because they hardly presented any information that went with the continuation of the saga. And I know that he's also said he wanted it to be standalone, but as a standalone movie, it was worthless. The whole movie can be summed up in they landed on a planet, they walked in the spooky cave, they found spooky shit, and then they ran away or died. That's the end of it. That is a waste of a movie. You can look at the first Alien movie, and it's so much more than that. It's about humanity. You get so much more out of it. Anyway, scope of the story, you had a chance, and instead it just became basically an advertising reel for other companies to work with. Garbage. Garbage. I like parts. <laughs> Kyle of it, but worked, garbage. Kyle is worked up. All right. Saving Private Ryan. I love this film. I think it's amazing. I think it deserved uh, all the Academy Awards. It didn't win. Um, oh, it didn't? No. It was very snubbed wow. uh, for Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> don't, get, don't get me started. I also like Shakespeare in Love. But come on. Are you kidding me? Over Saving Private Ryan. Um, anyway. I wanted to highlight um, the the flaw in the Spielberg film, which is the infallible hero. Now, every story has you know characters that are truly good. Um, we just did a podcast recently about Malcolm X. Oh yeah. And even Malcolm X as the hero, you know, has a flawed and checkered past. But even if he didn't, um, there's flaws in everyone. There are there's flaws in them. But no American soldier in this film has any flaws. If you've have you have you uh, seen yeah, this recently? I've seen it, yeah. Everyone is an unabashed hero. Every character sure. that that has a line to say on screen, you feel uh, you're supposed to feel sad for, like it's your son or daughter in this horrible war in a horrible time in human history. But not one point in time does anybody have a line that makes you think that they might be scummy in some way <laughs> nobody not are you kidding me that every american soldier in this film is like you know johnny hero like blue blood you know uh, i mean hey kyle the greatest generation i just no, i see what you're saying yeah. there's no character flaws in anybody which inherently makes the story then unrealistic well, it's when also you're trying to present depth, yeah. yeah when you're trying to present this really real part of american history and get people to draw emotion out of it and nobody had any flaws, so. Oh, well. Nazis sure had flaws. <laughs> <laughs> they presented that one pretty right away. All anyway, right, Kyle, what's my last, the last one I one? want to talk about is a film I've had a love-hate relationship forever uh, with, and I, I will always love it. And that is <laughs> that, that is Castaway. Have you seen this yes, film? Yes, I have. I like it. I like it, too. Mm-hmm. And I also hate it. <gasps> and here's why I dislike it. The ending. I uh, yeah. We can talk about endings. We could do a whole series of flawed gems. By where the way, the ending uh, let, ruins let me it. let me let me say something here real <clears throat> quick. Kyle Kyle's getting a little worked up. I am he's getting a, a little, little worked, worked up. up here. I like it. He even cursed. <laughs> now you know what it feels like. I know. When you get where, this yes. is like the, the Kyle cut is turning into the <laughs> Kyle rant. I love it. All right, he so much uninterrupted just streaming that he he let one go. But anyway, um. In preparation for the Kyle cut, I pitched the idea to Kyle via text, as all human interactions are nowadays. <laughs> um, and he, I, I said, "All right, man, it's up to you. We're gonna do the Kyle cut. Now you got to start thinking of of movies that you would cut or things uh-huh. that you would change. How would you do it?" And his response to me also contained a curse. <laughs> Endings, man! Exclamation point. 
effing endings. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And I was like, damn, he's got some problem with some endings. Kyle, I cast do. away the ending. What do you got? Uh, I, I I spent some time thinking about this ending, too. We, we closure. <laughs> closure. I mean, if what they were going for was to leave me with this sinking pit feeling in my stomach for eternity, <laughs> then they did a fantastic job. But to go for him to go through all these trials and then to basically have the love of his life and what was going to be his future wife and his future basically move on and have him come back to that, you know, and then not have a path to go on. The way that they ended the film was just so worthless <gasps> because he had a point to make a choice. He had a decision finally of where he wanted to take his life. And I understand leaving things up to the audience for interpretation. I get that. But you're detailing this man's life. You've built him up as your character. You've put him in the situations you've devised. And that means that you can't just leave it up to the audience to decide what happens to him at that point. If you're making a film, for instance, I want to say like Lost in Translation. If you've ever seen that movie, no. if you haven't... Um, <laughs> Basically, when you leave things up to the audience, like little snippets of text that you don't hear, you use the character's analysis throughout the movie to decide what they're going to do. That being said, what we had was a man who finally realized that he was going to be able to make choices in his life, and then you gave him none. You just end the film immediately with the idea that, oh, we can all go and decide to do whatever we want. And after the entire journey that he went on, and the narrative that you made, it was such a sloppy decision to decide that at the end of the film, you won't complete your narrative. Because you were going wow. for a narrative. You weren't going for the character study. You chose the narrative. You chose a person to be in the film. You defined them very well, I might add. And then you don't finish the narrative. And I just don't agree with the direction they took the film in. That being said, I love it. And I will always want to know what happened. <laughs> And if that was the case, then so be it. But that sort of dramatic irony uh, flaws films for me a lot of times. Or, wow. Um, uh, the dramatic irony being that I really want to know what happens and nobody's going to tell me anything or give, <laughs> oh, give me any shit. point after that. Well, Kyle, let me tell you something. Yes. That's a pretty brilliant analysis of the ending. I had never gotten to that level of analysis of the ending of Castaway because – I was always pretty devastated by the fact that the the Helen Hunt's character had moved on. Mm -hmm. She has a husband. She has children. End it there. That's fine. Have and, him be devastated. And he and the moment that she sprints back out to the car, mm -hmm. right, to kiss him in the rain, is so powerful because it's uh, it's she's torn, mm -hmm. but at the same time she's gonna go back to her family. Right. And both characters get that. But the flame is still there. It's yep. deep in her, and it's in him, of course, because he, he went to go find her. Mm -hmm. And that, I tell you what, Kyle, we did Crybabies a long time ago. The ending of that movie almost made Crybabies. Oh, you I see cried. what I'm saying? I cried like a baby. Sissy. No, I'm <laughs> but I, that's, that's, perhaps that's why I never bothered to be upset about the actual ending of the movie, because... I, I find a lot of beauty in the moments oh. of the scene with Helen Hunt. Two-thirds of that film is, like, my favorite movie of all time. Wow. But if you're going to introduce the ending and have him stop and drop a package off at some, like, random lady's house, then he needs to go back and ask her out to the bar or something. 
Yeah, I don't care if it lasts forever. In fact, it probably won't. It's just some random person. The idea that that would ever work out is kind of insane. But he needs to go and do something and make a choice in that moment. You heard but it here, folks. Or have him walk away. I don't know. Anything but just leaving it there, hanging without that decision. The so, Kyle cut. Anyway. All right, Kyle. That was excellent. The Kyle cut is Kyle's opportunity, has been Kyle's opportunity, to just go to town. Mm-hmm. Man, he was ranting. You I heard was ranting. Folks, he was ranting. He I was used dramatic up. irony incorrectly. I was worked up. Oh, I, I didn't catch it. <laughs> anyway, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. We're going to close this episode of The Kyle Cut Ooh. with a lightning round. Oh. I have a quick list here, Kyle. Hit me with your best shots. Some things. And the idea is I'm going to chuck it out at you. Okay. And without much thought, you have to come back quick as possible with oh. whatever comes to your mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> a corrective measure, the Kyle cut. Are okay. you ready for the lightning round? I am, and I'm a little nervous, to Here be honest. Go. All right. Ready and go. Tarantino films. Uh, too much egregious violence. Just leave out the parts where you shoot people in the penis and stuff like that, and you'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> 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 Okay, well, all right, light, it's supposed to be quick. You, you got me with that one. All right, next, Forrest Gump. Uh, too much hero worship. Interesting. All right. American Beauty. Is there anything that you would cut or Kyle cut it up? Ah, uh, this stupid plastic bag. I'm just oh. over it. <laughs> Jim Carrey's career. Uh, to just stick to the comedy. Just be a permanent member on Saturday Night Live forever, and you'll be all good. <laughs> The direction, pun intended, of M. Night Shyamalan. Mm, not everything needs to be the biggest twist in the world. You can just create a normal narrative. Excellent. Val Kilmer's career. Uh, self-parody more. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Michael Moore's documentaries. Where do we go? Oh. The, we're talking about the newest one. No, just where? where oh, where should, do we go where, now? Where do we go now? Like, what, what? What should he do? He's done. He's done so many of these things, and they don't seem to really. He needs to start breaking laws by sneaking into people's houses, putting a camera in their face, and waking them up and saying, "What are you going to do about climate change?" <laughs> <laughs> and the last one I have for you, Kyle, in the lightning round of the Kyle cut is million dollar baby thoughts. Oh man. Or cuts, should I say? <laughs> oh man. Oh, man. Man. Well, uh, I didn't even see that movie, and I thought it was garbage. So. Oh, man. Oh, man. Are these good omens or bad omens? Oh, that's... You didn't see the movie? No, but I, I've read enough about it. I thought it was garbage. I don't think it deserved all the hype. Too depressing. Yeah? Yeah. I think it was ruined for me because somebody told me before I had even known anything about it, like, that she dies. And then someone told me that she dies by hitting her head on a stool. And I was like, all right, ridiculous premise. I've already well, checked out. Never go see it. The bottom line is she dies because Clint Eastwood. Clint e- Clint Eastwood. <laughs> wait, Eastwood. wait. Do we, do, we, do we apologize for him? I apologize, Clint Eastwood. Is, uh, he, well, is he great? You are great at making movies. Stay out of <laughs> politics, buddy. Um, Kyle Cut. Clint Eastwood's uh, films are very good. Um, Clint Eastwood euthanizes her at the end of the movie because she's paralyzed and she asks oh, and she asks I did not know that. And she asks him to kill her and he does and then he goes and eats pie you bastard <laughs> holy cow i did not know that it's just too depressing i watched it once and it's on it's kind of on that list of things i watched and i i won't really watch anymore spoiler alert 
by the way. <laughs> Sheesh. All right. Yeah. Well, that's it for the there content. There it is. That Woo. was the lightning round. What would you think of that? Oh, that was fun. I like that. Excellent. Send some more at me. Uh, send us some at loudontheset at gmail.com. Thanks so much for uh, quizzing me, James. We'd love to do more of these, so give us some movies to cut up. Yeah. We'll do the James cut. Excellent. We'll get all these going on. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Check us out on YouTube and iTunes. Send us mail, loudontheset at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you later. And cut.